Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Empire Records. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. God save our gracious king, he is our noble king, we've got a king. <laughs> Did you enjoy the coronation? Just try to keep uh, it topical by talking about the coronation I... <laughs> the week after it happened when nobody cares anymore. <laughs> can I confess something to you? What? I took the time that the coronation was on as an opportunity to go to a National Trust property where I knew it would be really empty. Very nice. I went for an amazing walk where basically the only other people there was a German tour bus of tourists. Oh, brilliant. It was fantastic. And then went to the shops and bought our weekly shop when it was really quiet. It was amazing. That's the right That's the right thing to do. That's the way to do it. Well, I uh, was at a wedding. so yeah. Oh, you were at a wedding. Not only was I at a wedding, I was the best man at my friend Sam and Rosie's wedding as well. So shout out to them. Oh, congratulations, Sam and Rosie. Yeah, so that was very nice. And that was in the diary before King Charlie decided to do his thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Should have chosen a better date, shouldn't he? Yeah, <laughs> they got a commemorative certificate. So They did say, got, yeah, getting, getting, getting married, married on Coronation Day. day. I think he should have turned up after the coronation. It's been that, yeah. To the party. In all his gold regalia. Yes, exactly. exactly. Pondering his orb. <laughs> so yeah, we've been away so long. Uh, well, uh, we couldn't record last week because life happened as usual. But yeah, we've been away so long, we've got a king now. We had one before, yeah. but now he's been coronated, so it's real. He's a proper king now. They've taken off his, his training... Um, his training crown and put on the real one. Yeah, plastic like Fisher Price crown. <laughs> They've taken the L plate off his back. Now he's got his official kingly license, and now we have a king. He's got a little P plate on him on the back. <laughs> so you have to keep that on for like a year after you become king. Yeah, the little P plate. Just so that if anyone sees you from behind, they know that you're you're a king in training, and they they're going to go easy on you. That's how it yeah, works. Yeah, you're an official king, but go a little, go a bit of a light touch on you for now. Yeah. So yeah, King's coronation last weekend. Eurovision coming up this weekend. Perfect. It's the yes, most wonderful indeed. time of the year. <laughs> God bless it. And I didn't, couldn't really watch Eurovision last year because the baby was only like a few weeks old. So yeah, we were we were like zombies. I, I think I barely watched any of it, apart from the wolf guys who did the song about the give get my wolf a banana. That was which is genuinely <laughs> one of the best Eurovision songs ever. There was a really good song from a band that sounded like just a synth pop band, and they had little guitars and stuff. They were quite good. Yeah, but yeah, very excited. There's so much going on. Yeah. So we talked about music and this week's film is also about music it is yeah that was going to be my segue well done <laughs> this is the, the point as well like we've been doing this for so long it's like can you tell when someone's trying to segue most of the time yes most of the time most of the time um so especially this week's if you film, see them come in on one of those scooters where like you stand on it yeah 
the literal segue. <laughs> um, so this week's film is Empire Records, 1995. Um, a cult classic, a movie that bombed spectacularly at the box office. At the United States, only made $303,000 off a budget of $10 but has become a cult classic. Supposedly. I don't know. I don't hear this being talked about that much. Do you? I hear it being talked about. It was was your choice. Had you seen it before? I'd never seen it before, but it's a movie that I've heard people talk about before and thought, okay, let's Let's watch Empire Records, this movie that is apparently good. And I sort of enjoyed it. I, I think that's correct. That, yeah. I think that is the correct response. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I, I thought, you know how I always have preconceived notions about films I haven't seen that are always wrong? In my head, it was like a film that was much cooler and much much cleverer than this. I thought, yeah. from having seen maybe posters or stills from it or something, that it was more like a sort of... Um, Something by like Paul Thomas Anderson or David O. Russell, you know, one of those kind of directors where like it's a bunch of actors, you know, and they're saying snappy lines and it's all kind of hip and stuff. And it's a much it thinks it's much cleverer than it is. I thought it was something like that, but it's not at all. No, I thought it was going to be like the sort of a, a sort of sassy Gen X counterculture Beavis and Buttheady movie. Yeah. That's where I thought it was going to go. So not necessarily the too smart for its own good Paul Thomas Anderson type. Oh, my film's called Licorice Pizza. Um, I'm not going to watch <laughs> that to movie that. <laughs> because it has the most stupid name in the world. Does Licorice Pizza mean anything? Whatever. It, if, if it exists, it's disgusting. I Does hate it... Licorice. Licorice <laughs> is foul. Licorice is, is, is the is that a term? Sweet. Is that a term that means something? Or does it? Is it, is it rude? Is it a lewd yeah. term? Is it on Urban Dictionary? Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> I guess I know what I'm choosing next then. No, it's a... <laughs> um, apparently, Licorice Pizza was the name of a chain of record stores in Southern California for many years. Oh, because it looks like a pizza made of licorice. Yeah, so that that's makes sense. That's what they should have called this film. <laughs> licorice Pizza Empire. Records. Licorice Pizza Records. Um, so, yeah, um, I have no interest in watching Licorice Pizza, but I thought this was going to be, rather than um, what it is, which is kind of quite a sort of tame teen comedy drama, I thought it was going to be that kind of counterculture, silly, um, kind of crude movie from that era. But it's yeah. not either. It's sort of quite tame and... It doesn't really know what it is, does no. it? No. And I wonder... Just going back to Licorice Pizza for a moment, I'm vaguely interested to see it because I think it's got a good cast and a kind of good premise and the trailers and stuff I've seen look good, but I don't think I can forgive Paul Thomas Anderson for Punch, Punch Drunk Love, <laughs> a film that people like that is rubbish and stupid. Um, I can't forgive it because it looks boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm a young hip people in 1973. Look at how great I am. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman's Look son. How, and I how love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Musical I am. Is he good or is he just Philip Seymour Hoffman's son? I that sounded that sounded really cruel, but no, genuinely. No. I think Hollywood nepotism is a huge problem, but like that I'm genuinely I'm interested is to find that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm less interested to find that out. <laughs> Um, yeah, it sounds boring. When I could be watching The Meg 2, which has now had its trailer out, 
and the trailer shows a T-Rex catching and eating a, a, a creature by the shore and then immediately getting eaten by the Meg. <laughs> and then you see people in robot suits punching concrete. It looks I've amazing. seen the second half of the Meg. It's all right. <laughs> the Meg you is know? okay. Yeah, it's fun. It should have been more violent and stupid than it was, is my I one I think complaint. it was on TV around this time last year when we weren't really sleeping with the baby and we were, the baby had fallen asleep and we were so frazzled we were just flicking channels like the Meg's on. Do you want to watch the Meg? <laughs> It it should have been more ridiculous. The the fact that it's not as ridiculous as Deep Blue Sea is a big problem. It should have been Deep Blue Sea, but far more stupid and awful. Therefore, better. A lot of it was people talking rubbish on a submarine, and then a lot of like small submarines going around, a bit like the lake scene in the Phantom Menace. And I was like, I'm not down with this. (laughs) Whereas what it needed was just lots of people being eaten by a big big shark. You know, and no line in that was as good as when Liam Neeson says, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> um, how, did we get, how did we get onto this? I don't know. The um, Meg 2. Am I right in saying it's directed by Ben Wheatley? <laughs> yes, it is. I love that. How great is that? I want that? to see it now. Um, yeah, I want to watch it because he makes... Ben Wheatley makes some great films, but then also... Why is he making the Meg 2? It just comes out of nowhere. When, like, previously the most action-packed movie he's made is probably Free Fire, which I don't know if you've seen. No, you recommended it on this show, and I think it sounds good. It's a very smart, fun sort of... If you want Reservoir Dogs but not shit, then Free Fire is the movie for you. I love that, though. I think those are the the best directors, aren't they? The people who get the opportunity to do something really stupid and just run with it. Yeah, exactly. I'm really intrigued to see what he does. Like, um, the guy who did Godzilla vs. Kong is um, a director I really like as well. Um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Who's I'm going to have to look it up. Um, Adam Wingard, who, oh, yes. who made, you love him. made some great movies. Your Next and The Guest are two of my favourite films. The rest of his work's not so much, but those two are brilliant. Or like how David Lowry like did The Green Knight, but mostly cut his teeth doing stuff like Pete's Dragon. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, another one that we could have had was um, David Lynch was uh, one of the names shortlisted for Return of the Jedi, wasn't he? Yes, that's right, yeah. Which, imagine David Lynch's... Imagine what the Ewoks would be like in David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. Someone's just milking an Ewok in the background. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it'd be great. Um, Anyway, Mystic Pizza... Mystic Pizza? Mystic Pizza. That's an entirely different movie that we should talk about at some point. That's also about people working retail jobs and finding their true selves. That's true. Um, So Empire Records, rather. Um, I did note that this movie was basically pulled together in post-production. So much so that three major characters were cut. 40 minutes of the film was cut. Oh, and initially the movie was going to be over two days instead of just one. Right. So I kind of wonder, because it does feel very disjointed and very strange, and it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. And then suddenly it's over. And suddenly <laughs> suddenly it's over. Um, I wonder if that is a reason why that actually we've got, we're missing 40 minutes and three key characters. It's extremely rare that we would ever say a film should be longer than it is. But if that stuff exists and could have helped to flesh things out a bit, then why not, you know? Because there's some stuff here that feels really great. 
but it's it's kind of like scrambled egg. It's a complete mess, but it's a tasty mess. It's buttery. I think is the problem. It's buttery. Well, it's, um, it's scrambled egg, but they didn't use enough butter. Yeah, that that's exactly right. It's not got that creaminess that scrambled egg should have. Too much milk in it. The way that I think this movie feels, right, this feels like there's a sitcom and it's got a really devoted fan base and then at the end of its run on TV they've made a standalone movie. Mm, yeah, That's what this film feels like, where you're kind of thrust into these pre-existing character relationships in this one-off event that's part of their wider lives. This feels like the recess movie. <laughs> That's what this feels like. It feels like something like the recess movie or the Simpsons movie. Or um, I'm trying to think of a non-cartoon version. But you know what I mean? Other sitcoms have done the same thing, haven't we? Where they've come to an end and then they've released a standalone film at the end of it. And that never works out well, does it? And And... And, and that's what this movie feels like. It feels like there should have been an entire three-season-long cult classic TV show that led up to this film. And if you'd done that with these actors and these characters, I think it would have worked. It probably would have been slow to get going. But something like this relies on characterization, and the characterization here is very, very poor. And I wonder if a lot of what they cut out of it was that. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. But because you can, you can see what I mean, can't you? That, like... If you had, you know, maybe Liv Tyler's character is there for their first day along with the floppy-haired man who's the her main love interest, and they both start on the same day. Our main man from Grease 2. <laughs> Not our main man from Grease 2. <laughs> um, but, but something like that. And then, um, and then it's like her time at the record store with all of these other misfits and building these relationships over time over the course of like two or three seasons that's them at high school and then it all ends with the events of this and you could slowly bed in that maybe the record store is going to be taken over by these dodgy people and that kind of thing yeah you could slowly build up that kind of rapport because a lot of the, the the twist, I suppose, is that they, they think the guy who owns the store is just going to sell it off to the corporation, right? Because he's heartless. And it turns out he's been trying to fight it against the other owners. And like, if you spent an entire season of going through his character to build that up, that would feel like such a good twist. Yeah, but instead that twist is the first 15 minutes of this film. Yeah. And that's the problem. HBO or Amazon or somebody get the rights to Empire Records and turn it into a TV show instead. Yeah, do the reboot. Do a reboot that's... I mean, the problem is that you'd still need to set it in the 90s because record stores don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you couldn't do it in another setting. It needs to have that kind of counterculture feel. But, you know, with the th- with things like, you know, they're remaking Daria, which I'm sure is going to be an absolute disaster. Oh, no. You can't remake Daria. There, there are some things you just think, like, what could a remake possibly do to improve on the original, right? Why don't exactly. they just make more Daria? You could you could make more Daria. You could you could have an adult Daria, or even better yet, not do anything with it because it ended perfectly. Yeah, there's no need to do any more Daria. Even like they made more Beavis and Butthead, didn't they? They did. They I did. haven't seen yeah, it. It's probably I've not bad. Seen it. But <laughs> um, but. But yeah, someone could pick this up and do a 90... Because people love the 90s as a retro thing now. We're now old enough for the 90s to be a retro thing. Yeah. So why not do an Empire Records reboot set in the 90s still, 
with some like up and coming people maybe just get the whole cast of stranger things in yeah because you know they've they've moved from the 80s into the 90s now you could just hire all of them hero finds tiffin is probably young enough <laughs> he could play to ruin it who would hero finds <laughs> tiffin be in this he, he'd be like a well the kind of a harry styles kind of figure couldn't he like a young a young pop star coming to do a signing at the thing to ruin it for everyone oh so you you'd like him to but rather than a washed up old star like we've got in this film yeah it's a young gen z young but i suppose in the 90s it would be someone yeah of of the generation above us i suppose yeah someone who was in an early boy band and then quit to go and do solo stuff yeah he's like a precocious child star yeah yeah um yeah actually that could be quite good apart from we wouldn't want hero finds tiffin in it no obvious reasons you just walk in and go (laughs) fuck this shop (laughs) What's the fuck's going on in this fucking shop? <laughs> fucking hell. Um, anyway, uh, Empire Records, though. Shall we give a bit of a rundown of the plot? Yes. So, so Finn Wolfhard movie... walks in. I oh, know, that's the reboot. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> that's the reboot. Who would Finn Wolfhard play? I think Finn Wolfhard would be... Um, he'd be the guy who runs off to the casino. Yeah, yeah. He's He's your main man, for sure. Um, any, anyway, so this is a, an independent record store in uh, Delaware. Um, shout it's out been, to Delaware. The only it's going to put Delaware about, on the map. The only thing I know about Delaware is that one scene in one of the Wayne's Worlds where they're doing that tour of the tour of the world with a green screen behind them, and then they end up in Delaware, and they're like, "Hi, I'm in Delaware." <laughs> um, Joe Biden is from Delaware. Oh, is he from Delaware? Yeah. There we go. It's a. It's a. It's a little tiny state isn't it Delaware yes it's a teeny tiny one on the coast it's one of if not the smallest I don't know but yes so uh, a record store in Delaware and um one of the people who works at this record store fella called Lucas um he is counting up the money for the day and he finds out that the shop's about to be sold to a national chain evil capitalist bastards basically and so he runs off to Atlantic City um, to try and win enough money to not not for this to happen. And he decides to double down on his first bet, which wins and loses everything. Um, hence, then, he's in a lot of trouble. But not as much trouble as you thought he'd be in. No, it doesn't really end up being an issue, does it? No, because... The film sort of decides to just go in another direction. Our, our main man, Anthony LaPaglia is a very understanding, uh, extremely understanding record store boss who doesn't do anything apart from roughs him up a bit, Um, which is quite nice of him when actually he could be pressing very serious charges against him for stealing money and running off to gamble it. Um, It turns out that he wasn't going to be um, immediately selling it to Music Town. Instead, he was going to be raising this money, and the money that he had raised was going to go towards buying out the shop and making it fully independent from its owner, who is an evil capitalist hog. Um, Hence begins the journey of trying to get enough money together to save the shop. Although, actually, that only happens in, like, the last 20 minutes. They all put their hands in their pockets and pull out all their change, and then it's almost enough to buy the shop, and then they go, well, we haven't got enough money, let's have a concert on the roof. So they have a concert on the roof and have a big sale to get all of the money together. And Renny Zellweger um, sings with this like punk punk band, these punk nineties punk guys. Yeah, nineties punk guys. Yeah, singing a kind of generic grungy punk song anthem. 
yeah, it feels almost sort of like a uh, a weird mix of like nineties um, punk grungy stuff and and post punk from the eighties. It's a a weird blend. Um, but basically, what happens in the middle is some weird stuff. There's lots of very relationship driven drama between the different characters. Um, there's a shoplifter who then comes back in with a gun. <laughs> Um, and he's like a comic relief, which is a very weird thing. And the main thing is that there's a washed up pop star called Rex Manning, who's coming in to uh, do like an album launch event where he signs stuff. And they show like half of one of his faked music videos and it is very good. It's yes, really, really well done really and it's so good, promising. It? And then they kind of do nothing with it. And But he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, so so Rex Manning, um, played by Maxwell Caulfield, who, like you said before, is our man from Grease 2. <laughs> but also other stuff. He's worked in all sorts of stuff. He's been in a lot of stuff, years. but he will always be remembered for that iconic <laughs> role. He'll <laughs> always be Grease 2 to As us. As the uncool rider. Yeah. <laughs> um... Um, but yeah, he's fantastic as this kind of washed up 80s uh, pop star. Um, really good performance from him. And he's a real dirtbag of a character as well. Um, but really, a lot of what this movie does is do that kind of interplay between these different characters. So you've got um, you've got Liv Tyler's Corey. You've got Renee Zellweger's Gina as the sort of... Um, two best friends in there and it's early on in both of their careers isn't it yes yeah very early on so this movie came out in 1995 yeah so Liv Tyler was only 18 yeah and and it feels like it feels like a sort of one of those 80s coming of age teen movies but in the 90s and that's kind of one of the reasons why I thought it could have been quite interesting but it lacks that edge of 90s gen x culture i think and that's the real problem is there's this kind of surface level thing and if you looked at screenshots of it you'd think oh yeah this is going to be a really sort of sarky sardonic film but it's not and i think that's probably one of the reasons why i didn't quite enjoy it as much as i thought i would yeah it feels like it can't decide whether it wants to be like a john hughes film or to be kind of a bit more as you say really kind of slackery and gen xy yeah and around this time you know, Richard Linklater was releasing films. You know, Date, the main guy in this, uh, what? Well, not main guy, um, the guy who lost the money. He also appeared in Dazed and Confused two years before. You know, things are heading more in the Linklater direction, and this film, I think, hadn't jumped on that boat. But it was like it was trying to swim to it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's going in that direction, but it's a little, it's a bit too conservative in its approach. Popular nineteen ninety five films. I think this is this is to do with the time period. Billy Madison. Which we have talked about. <laughs> Which we have talked about. Clueless. Uh, Clueless came out the same year. And if you look at something like mm. Clueless, Clueless is just brilliant, isn't it? We talked about that, I think, very, very early on. And that has that edge to it, which I think this movie lacks. You know what else came out in 95? Showgirls came out Showgirls. in 95. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's now scored into the back of my head that that's the year it came out. Yep. Uh, Ace Ventura, which I know you've been watching recently. <laughs> I watched Ace Ventura. Just as horribly transphobic as I feared it would be on the rewatch. Yep. Um, we should maybe talk about it and its incredibly racist sequel at some point. But we'll, we'll see. do the um, Ace Ventura double. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Seven came out this year, which I think is always really tapped into that sense of that 90s cinema. A very, very edgy, dark film that goes to unexpected places. 
um, usual suspects as well as another example where, you know, if you look at the two movies that take that whodunit element and take it in different directions, and they both take it in really extreme different directions, um, that's the kind of era of movies this is, where really it was quite a transformative stage where people were trying things. I mean, this is the same year that Before Sunrise came out as well, yeah. for example. And not many comedies on this list, are there? I don't think it's quite fair to call Billy Madison a comedy, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at feature film sorted by popularity ascending on IMDb. Right. And the first one that comes up as a comedy is Jumanji. Yeah. Um, after that, it's Clueless. And then after that, um, I would consider Showgirls a comedy, but... You know. A very dark um, one, but yes. After that, we've got Friday, the Ice Cube movie. Ice Cube and Chris Tucker film. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not a lot of big comedies on the list here, but lots of movies that are trying to do things slightly differently. But then, yeah, Empire Records does feel like it's making those tentative steps, but maybe it's a little bit behind the curve in comparison to some of its peers. Yeah, it just doesn't quite land. And I and genuinely am yeah. so interested to find out what they cut and why they why they ended up rushing through it. Because it's like, we have to get this out in the mid-90s. Guys, if it, if it like, rolls on into 1996, then it'll be cursed. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see a full-length version of this, that, that extra 40 minutes involved. Yeah, I don't know if it exists, but um, but you know, I'd love to see that release the full cut. There's no butthole cut, is there? They didn't cut any buttholes. <laughs> no, I don't think there's yeah. any buttholes in here. Yeah, I, I think it's a shame. Apparently, they were looking at doing a musical adaptation, but it got put on hold because of COVID. But I feel like something like a TV series based on this that really allows these characters to develop, but is faithful to what currently exists of these characters could be quite interesting because you've you've got these archetypes here that i think you could explore in interesting ways and maybe looking back now on 90s culture you could try and circumvent those tropes and give people some real depth Mm, I, i reckon the reboot is coming yeah i mean it is a film that does have this cult thing around it and i don't necessarily think people would be put off by um by the fact that it bombed the first time around, because I think there's enough of a cult following around it for it to grow, much like um, uh, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, got that sequel. That's I think right. there's something here. I, I, I think there's something here that people could grab. One of the reasons I wonder why it hasn't happened yet is because it's so intrinsically music based, and maybe they would be concerned about how much it would cost to get the rights to songs from that era if they knew that it was going to be attached to something that was so heavily music based in the first place. Yeah, because a lot of the songs on the soundtrack, let's talk about the music because it is a really big, big mm. part of it. So much so that one of the reviews described the film as a, as a soundtrack in search of a movie, which I think is fair. And like mm. the music is really, really good, and a lot of it is is well known '90s stuff, and some of it is not that well known, or like is quite cool and a bit a bit out there, but still feels '90s. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah, it's, it's really, really good, and got some really interesting stuff. And it reminds you that that we talk a lot about the kind of bad band names that they have now, but they had some in the '90s as well. You're talking about Toad the Rat Sprocket. Right? Yes, I am, and also the the. <laughs> And the, the. Which I think is pr- probably yeah, that's a strong contender for the worst band name of all time, isn't it? Although the the weren't. It's funny because they're not really nineties. The the they were eighties mainly, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. 
but they're they're on here, so I'm allowed. <laughs> but they're it. on here, so they count. They're toad the wet sprocket. That is a truly awful. Truly one. awful. <laughs> What's worse, that or catfish in the bottle? Man. Oh yeah, I don't know. That's a similar school of, of band name, yeah, isn't it? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but apart from that, you know, you, you do have a really great soundtrack here. You've got Guar, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instant 10 out of 10 on the soundtrack by having them on but there's lots of stuff like cranberries as well you got evan dando covering big star which i love oh yeah yeah and it's it's yeah it's a really great soundtrack for that kind of rock slash indie grassroots music scene and so you've got this stuff here where some of it is quite well known but like you said also there's some deep cuts um it's a yeah it's a interesting cool soundtrack for what should have been a cool movie yeah and every song every time a song comes on you're like yeah this is good i'm digging this and then the characters appear to say something and like go away let me listen to the song (laughs) (laughs) and that's the problem isn't it is that actually there's in terms of the sort of story content and character content here it doesn't land quite as well as it should do and i think that's the real problem is that actually if you're going off vibes this movie's got some great vibes. Yeah. But the content side of it is more of a struggle. Yes, I feel like it's weak on plot as well, and mm. it feels like they did the... Well, they literally did the Raymond Chandler thing. You know you know what Raymond Chandler's advice was? If you're, like, suffering from writer's block, have a man come through the door with a gun in his hand. I mean, they literally <laughs> yeah. did that in this film, didn't they? They do, they do. Whereas I quite liked the introduction of Warren as this shoplifter. He's this young kid who comes in um, shoplifting, stealing some some stuff. He's a young dirtbag. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a teenage dirtbag. Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, when they initially do it, you you kind of see these cool inner workings of the store where like they take him into the back room, they take a photo of him with the records he was going to be um stealing and they critique the records that he's getting and things like that and that's all quite fun i liked all of that but then he comes back in a far more dramatic way with a gun later on and you're just like this came out of nowhere this feels really strange it's very very odd and that's it illustrates how how this film just kind of lurches from problem to problem to problem rather than sort of dealing with any of it really it's just kind of well here's another thing which which again kind of makes it feel like this could have been a great tv show you can imagine an episode all about where they introduce Warren the shoplifter and maybe then he becomes a recurring character over the course of a season after yeah. that initial thing. There's there's, there's so much potential here and I think that's such a shame that it doesn't manage to live up to it. But that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the performances of the people. I think they're giving it a lot here and maybe that's where some of the charm comes from that people appreciate about this film is that actually they're the the char- they're they're likable you know even though a lot of the characters are quite thin because they don't have the the development that they deserve they're still likable characters in their own way it's not an unpleasant watch is it no, it's not no. bad it's n- it's not unenjoyable to watch but a lot of the time you're just thinking why is this happening i like you <laughs> sir and i like your very very your store that is very very large for an independent record store but why is this happening Yes, it's like a multi-tier shop as well. It's, it's like a Virgin Mega Store. Yeah, and if you say like to me like independent record store, I think of something like High Fidelity. You know, just one yeah, miserable you, old get at the back. You, you think of those really small, really claustrophobic stores of like rows upon rows. There, you know, that's what you think of. Whereas this is yeah, very, very light and airy. 
Um, but then, but then that kind of turns it into this infectious thing where you see like the people working there make all of these comedic shout outs over the tannoy and they all choose their own music at certain times. And that, so there's these little snippets of character of the events of the film rather than the characters themselves. We're like, oh yeah, we're getting all of these little quirky snippets of what this record store is like. Yeah. And when they're kind of youthfully goofing around, that's, that's where it has the most energy. Yeah doesn't it yes and that's why i'm gonna make a bold claim here um the best character in this movie is ethan Embry's character mark the the goofy rocking person who eats some hash brownies and hallucinates about guar killing him yeah because he's silly he's silly and he's gen xy and he's got that kind of counterculture feel to him and has this infectious energy where whenever he's on screen it really drives the movie in the direction that it should have gone in more efficiently yeah absolutely i'd I'd agree with that um i adore ethan Embry. by the way i think he's great um he has been in one of my favorite tv shows of all time which no one else in the world has ever watched um called (laughs) um called freaky links have i talked to you about freaky links before no sounds like a child's game (laughs) you know like a board game you want to play freaky links want to play freaky links um so freaky links was created by um one of the guys who was behind the blair witch project one of the producers behind the blair witch project and david s goyer who um is a very well-known screenwriter wrote the blade trilogy um helped write Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight films and things like that. Um, and they came up with this idea basically to create a a sci-fi horror TV series about a bunch of people who um who head off and they do paranormal investigations on the internet. The problem is that that's something that became really popular with the growth of YouTube in like the mid 2000s and this came out in the year 2000 right so this is this is solving sci-fi crimes on the dial-up internet yes exactly exactly so if this had come out like five years later it would have been huge but it didn't quite hit the zeitgeist it hit it too early but what you do have is a really really fun monster of the week tv show with these we these cool little hacker type people running around and solving paranormal crimes like what are these spooky creatures down in the sewers of new york so basically it was goosebumps for when you'd outgrown goosebumps yeah exactly it's goosebumps goosebumps for people who now are of drinking age basically (laughs) or round the twist yeah yeah exactly it's got that kind of feel Or, or like early seasons buffy but for people who are into computers or um, or really into real-life paranormal um, or, or, or a similar thing as sort of like the X-Files early seasons. It's got that kind of vibe, but unfortunately, yeah, it only got one season, didn't do particularly well, and now you can't find it anywhere. So I've got it all uh, downloaded on a hard drive from rips from, like, videos that people took off the TV. Oh, wow. And I'm, and I'm just like, this w- this was made for 20th Century Fox, which is now under Disney. Why is it not on Disney Plus yet? Surely it's it's sitting around on a vault somewhere. Just a check reboot's it on Disney coming. Plus. A reboot is never coming because this hasn't had a cult following at all. The cult following consists of me and five other weirdos on the internet. But I'm just like, look, Disney, you must have like it around somewhere. 
surely the the cost of servers of uploading it to Disney Plus is worth it just to get this show on somewhere. Come on, guys. Disney, I know you're listening. I know you listen every week. <laughs> I know Bob, someone, Bob Disney. I know Bob Disney listens every week. But come on, give it give it to me. Yeah, he's supposed yeah. to steal all our all our ideas for the future Pixel pipeline. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You didn't um, think Wizard Cop was going to be an animated feature? Well you thought wrong. <laughs> I can't wait for the musical numbers. <laughs> um but but yeah i really like i really like ethan Embry in general Ap- apart from that he's been in all sorts of of, of cool things um he's, he's in, in that thing you do which i've never seen have you seen that yeah i've not seen that either but i hear it's good it's a enjoyable thing so another 90s cult classic isn't it yes and can't hardly wait is another one which maybe would hit the gen xy cheekiness in a better way yeah like a teen rom-commy type thing with um Jennifer Love Hewitt, isn't it? And Seth Green are in that as well. Yeah. But yeah, he's been in all sorts. My favourite thing he's been in recently was a cool horror movie called The Devil's Candy, where he plays this, um, he plays like this metal musician artist who's like, sees weird possessed creatures. It's a really odd film, but it's great. Um, He's been in all sorts of great stuff over the years, and um, it's nice to see this early in his career already having that energy that he took into other stuff but that's not to say that other people aren't good you know Liv Tyler has that same magnetism that she has in every role Renee Zellweger's here as well and doing a good job um you know all of the cast and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why it has this cult following is that the cast are really magnetic yeah which I think drags people in quite a lot in spite of the flaws of the film they've got great youthful energy and I like that yeah yeah, that yeah, makes it absolutely. enjoyable to watch. And if they didn't, I think it would be a real slog. Yeah, if they didn't have the cast that they had in this movie, I think it would be really challenging to watch. But actually, they drive it incredibly well. Yeah, um, and and they all kind of have these kind of stereotypes or tropes attached to their characters. You've got sort of Rory Cochran's character Lucas, who's the one who steals the money. He's got this weird sort of um, hipster vibe going on, which is quite cool. He thinks You've he's got, like, cool. The, yeah, you've got like the 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 mosher, Beavis and Buttheady person in Mark. Um, you've got um, the more sort of traditional, um, sort of Gen Xer in um, oh, what's his name? The other fella, Lucas. No, Lucas is the other one. AJ is the other one, isn't he? The floppy head. Oh yeah. And then yeah, so they, so they all kind of fit these different tropes of nineties counterculture. Um, but it would be, yeah, I think there could have been room to do more with it. And like I said, maybe in that extra 40 minutes there, there is. Uh, maybe they, they thought this was going to be some new Brat Pack, didn't they? And it's like that, that idea was actually dead by then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although people did well out of this, you know, everyone, everyone here had a decent enough career off the back of this film. Yeah. Nobody bombed, did they? No, no. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a weird film. I'm glad I watched it. But I'm not sure if I'd ever watch it again. Also, an iconic performance from Debbie Mazar, who I wanted to highlight as the who is the villain in Beethoven's Second, and therefore yeah, I will watch I her and love her in anything. But as soon as I saw her face, I was just like, "Yes, you are. I love you. You are sold. You are brilliant." It was a shame she wasn't doing yeah. the same accent. Obviously, get the dogs, <laughs> get the dogs. But um, yeah, she was. She played Rex Manning's manager, and she was very yes. good. Yeah, it's uh, she's she's great in this as well, and that's what I mean is that everyone's doing their jobs as well as they can, but it's clear that this movie was stitched together, and 
it does struggle. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure I'd watch it again. But I did enjoy I did enjoy I did enjoy watching it. If it was on TV and channel hopping I'd be like, Oh, it's, it's Empire Records, let's watch a bit of this. But like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, have you got anything else you'd like to say about Empire Records? I don't think so. No. There's not loads to say, isn't there? Again, the pacing is really off. Like about an hour in, it felt like it was over as well. Yeah. Because it's definitely like, yeah. where is this going? Is this kind of the last scene? And then again, Kai comes in with a gun. <laughs> yeah, the pacing is very is very odd. Oh, I wanted to say that I really hate that um, Flying Lizards cover of The Best Things in Life are Free, whatever, that money, that's what I want. I really hate that, and it really grates on me, and I don't know why. <laughs> you know, sometimes a song just really grates on you. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can get that. I don't, I don't think I dislike it as much as you, but I'm not a fan. Like, it pops up weirdly every now and then, and you're just like, why is this happening? Because it's cheaper to get the rights than the original. Probably is. That <laughs> Even though the right. best things in life are free. <laughs> the one who, the, that's um, James Hetfield's version of it. Really. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> have you listened to the new Metallica? Yes, it's good. They have Is no right to be making an album this good at this stage in their career. <laughs> I'm a bit concerned because what I've heard so far, none of the songs were nine minutes long. Yeah. Which concerns me about the, Metallica. There aren't enough but... long ones. But did you not think yeah. Lux Eternal is brilliant? Like that's as good as anything yeah, they've a... done. I, I'm not sure if it's as good as anything they've done, but it's certainly better than anything, or as good as anything they've done since the Black Album. You leave Reload alone. <laughs> I will not leave Reload alone. <laughs> you leave Saint Anger alone. Friend. No, I can't even joke about that terrible, terrible album. Occasionally I listen to Frantic, and it's not that bad. The The problem I have with Saint Anger, I know lots of people get angry about the snare. The snare is fine. My problem is James Hetfield's vocals are way too high in the mix and they're weirdly tense and sharp. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough reverb on them. He sounds they're like he's compressed. tensing his whole body. Yeah, and it's really off-putting. Uh, the mix is odd, but I think it's the vocals that really gets to me. If you had like a traditional mix on his vocals, as you'd seen in previous Metallica albums, I think I'd enjoy it a lot more. All of it sounds like it was recorded in a bin. Yeah, and I don't mind. I don't mind in general that it sounds like it's recorded in a bin. But his vocals sound so clear and so sharp on top of the bin recording. It's a real problem. Everyone else was in a bin, and then he was in the studio. (laughs) Exactly, that's what it feels like. And I don't mind the bin side of stuff. The bin side is fine. It's the 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 clarity mixed with the bin that that jars with me. I do love a good bin. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that's Metallica chat. Like, Welcome to the mechan- I wrote down cars. in my notes. I wrote down who is this for, which I think is the is the ultimate question, isn't it? Like, if you're sort of eighteen in 1995, are you going to see this? Is this aimed at you? I don't know. Well, nobody did go to see it, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's what I'm trying to hit on. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's maybe like nobody looked at that and went, "That's for me." And and I don't know if that's because of a you know there wasn't any marketing behind it or anything like that, and that's why it bombed so badly. Or you know some something else going on behind the scenes, um, but yeah, I think that's the big question: is all of the marketing side of things. You'd have thought this would drag people in because it does have this kind of cheeky quality that you'd expect to work. Good, but, pos- good posters, good, yeah, good font. Yeah, but yeah, it clearly didn't resonate for some reason, or maybe never had the opportunity to resonate with people because of other failures, or maybe it came out at the same time as more successful movies. Maybe it came out at the same time as Happy Madison. Yeah. 
<laughs> Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Happy Madison is the name of the production company. That's right, because it was it's um, the other movie, Happy Feet, that he did. That's the one. <laughs> I think it came out the same week as um, Johnny Mnemonic with Keanu Reeves. Oh, of course, that that big hit. I love Johnny Mnemonic, by the way. I've never seen it. I'm just looking Have at a picture not? of Keanu oh, Reeves' that... face right now. It has Dolph Lundgren playing uh, cyberpunk Jesus bounty hunter. Truly, <clears throat> I'm not making shit up. That's, an, that's his actual character. It's great. Watch Johnny Mnemonic. It's brilliant. Um, it was either that or Congo, which I know is one of your faves. Oh, man, I do love Congo. That's a great film. Um, what, what a week for movies. <laughs> yeah, I just made up that that was the same week, by the way. Oh, did you? It's not really that week. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at 1995 films. It could be. Oh. I choose to believe that it is. This. The same week as that. Free Willy 2 and First Night. So there's no excuse. No, no excuse. Okay. Um, so I've got a bit of trivia for you for Empire Records. So you know the song Say No More, Mon Amour, the Rex Manning music yes. video? Say Apparently they shot a full four-minute, 30-second music video. Really? For it, which did appear in one of the DVD releases. Um but I'm not sure if it's now available in the new Blu-ray release, which is a shame. But I'm sure it's up on YouTube or something if you wanted to watch the whole thing. I would love to watch that. Apparently in one of the deleted scenes, the rooftop band is arrested and taken away, which kind of would take away from the magic of the ending. Yeah, boring. It's a big feel-good ending. Why would you then arrest the people doing it? Um, which is, yeah, which is odd. Which is odd. Um and uh, did you know that people celebrate Rex Manning Day? Yes, I did read about that, yeah. So that's the kind of cult classic thing, isn't it? Which is cool. Which is cool, I like that. You know you've got cult classic status. Yeah, when people are celebrating the day. Much like, um, what's the date from Mean Girls that people celebrate every year? Oh, is it April 25th? Yeah, something like that. You only need a light jacket. That is very funny. No, no, that's miscongeniality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, on on whatever day it is. On Wednesdays um, we wear pink. But that's every Wednesday. Yeah, no, um, the main love interest asks what the date is, and then she answers, and then that's like a date that people celebrate in Mean Girls um, fandom. That's right, I forgot about that. We talked about Mean Girls, didn't we? We did, we did, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that'll do for... for um, for trivia. So how are we going to rate this? Um, let's see. How many thousand dollars did you blow in the casino in Atlantic City from 1 to 20? So I got I I blew $10,000. This is a, a Bon Jovi for me. Not because it's just middle of the road all the way, but there's some highs here and some massive lows and I think it about middles out at halfway point. It evens out. Yeah, it's not mid, is it? No. No. I I think I would agree with that. You're going to go for a 10 as well? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Cool, cool. There we go. Empire Records. Glad I watched it. Probably won't watch it again. Liked all of the performances. Yes. Wish too. there was a TV show. Make a TV show. The reboot's give coming. Of, I'm telling you. Give all of the original cast cameos as people in the record store or something like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, that'd be great. Make it. Make it. There's, there's so much potential. Make here. it happen. Really great. If you haven't seen Empire Records, I think it is worth a watch. Just yeah, once. absolutely. There, there's something fascinating about it, and you can kind of see what the potential is. And you might be one of those people that really resonates with it, or at the very least, you might watch it and realise why it has that charm that other people enjoy. But for me, it wasn't quite there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I get it. If it's like a cult classic for you, I totally get it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so what have we got next then? Okay, I'm going to give you a choice of actors. Oh, no. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Okay. Heath Ledger. Keanu Reeves. Mate, we're going Keanu Reeves. Oh, good choice. In which case, we're going to be doing 1993's Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, we're doing a a, a a fancy shake boy. Yeah, which we've um we've mentioned here before. And weirdly, there was a poster of it up in my English classroom at school, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Or if I have, it's been a very long time. But so I got to look at about... Keanu Reeves's face in English class. So you know, <laughs> which one's much ado about nothing? Um, it's it's one of the the romantic comedy ones where there's all different love triangles and stuff. Um, I struggle to remember. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't narrow it down. It's one of the sillier ones, I think. There's loads, there's loads of them like that, isn't there? Yeah, and it's one of the more light-hearted ones. But this is a great cast. It's not just Keanu. It's Emma Thompson, Keanu? Denzel Washington, Keanu, yeah, <laughs> Michael Keaton, and Kate Beckinsale wow. in her film debut. Oh wow! Okay, brilliant. But yeah, look up the poster because it's got Keanu doing a very serious face on it, and I think this is oh pre-Dracula as well. But he looks like he's wearing an outfit from Dracula. That's what I mean. I think this is where he was training to be Jonathan Harker. <laughs> Dracula training begins here. And like, I do, however, love Denzel Washington's pose yeah, on this poster. He's doing like a chef's kiss thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm here. I'm here for it. Is so, it all written? Is it? Is it all in Shakespeare? Or I, I think it is. Yeah. Mm. But we'll we'll have I, to see. The doubts creeping in. I don't want none of that nerd shit. In my <laughs> no, no nerd language forsooth. <laughs> nope. Get a getaway. Exit pursued by a bear, and the bear is me. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant i've been thinking about keanu reeves a lot because dracula daily started again which is the you know the email newsletter that sends out dracula as it happens in real time oh yes yeah, it starts yeah. on may the 4th oddly enough um so yeah it's really really good but i cannot since we watched francis ford coppola's dracula i just cannot think of it as not being keanu reeves and gary oldman no. with his heart-shaped hair and yeah. no it's, it's the same with me i can't picture dracula as anybody else and i can't picture harker as anybody else so when i'm reading it's it's the early bits of like jonathan harker's journal it's keanu reeves reading it to me and i love that it's come yeah, it's that's, comforting that, that's what you want from dracula let's be honest yeah no one else could ever compare do you want to know the two films you could have had yeah, oh, go on, tell me. Okay. So, I, I guess um, Knight's Tale. Yes, because yeah. Yeah, we, we need to get around to that eventually. I've been thinking about that a lot because I've been reading about kind of medievalists' commentary on stuff um, on Twitter about uh, they're people who love to nitpick over things for being historically inaccurate, but they all, down to a person, love A Knight's Tale, which uh, okay. is the most That's historically cool. inaccurate film ever, but starts with them singing <laughs> We Will Rock You and they're just like, it's a way. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And what was the other one? Um, Tom Hanks. He's white. Um, no, <laughs> it was going to be Splash, oddly enough, which I've oh, never, okay. never seen. Also been I don't think to I've see. seen Splash either. So, yeah, all good choices, but that's the thing. There are too many films, aren't there? But we'll get, we'll get true, to them, won't we? Too many, there are too many movies. Yeah. Big challenge. Big challenge. All right, well, thanks a lot for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed Empire Records if you did watch it. If you didn't, go and check it out. Um, there's a link in our show notes where you can give us money, just like a virtual tip jar. You can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about Much Ado About Nothing, 93. Alrighty, bye-bye. Bye-bye.